how about that opening act, guys, right? <laughs> Hayden really, like, got you guys ready for the message there. <laughs> so if you guys have your Bibles, could you please open them up to James chapter 2, verses 1 through, teen, verses 1 through 13. Uh, we got a lot to cover this morning. And while you guys are going there, I do want to share a story with you, but I do want to see, has anybody recently gone through a job interview? Oh. <laughs> or can you guys remember when you went through a job interview? You know, it's not something that we should be like well experienced at because that means you're always looking for a new job. But it is, when you do a job interview, it is a very stressful moment. If you guys remember leading up to that, like you are, you are incredibly nervous because you shouldn't be that good at it. It should be something that you're working on. Again, because you shouldn't be always looking for a new job. But when you are getting ready for a job interview, you know, you are, you're doing your best to, to look great. Because honestly, you're going to get judged. That's kind of the whole point of the job interview. They're judging you to make sure that you're a good fit. They're judging you to see if you can do the job. And honestly, you should also be judging them that this is something you would like to commit the rest of your life to do. Because you shouldn't be doing it all the time. But when you are getting ready for the job interview, you're making yourself look good. First thing you do is your resume. You try and make yourself look good in written form, stand out amongst the, amongst the crowd. And then when you do get the interview, you're looking for your best outfit because you want to you wanna look the part. You want to you wanna look and feel confident when you're going into it. I want to share with you guys a story of a job interview I had when I was in Boise, when I was uh, going to the Bible college. I was looking for a job when you're a broke college student. You know, you're kind of looking for something fun, but, you know, pay the bills and the books. There was a job I looked up, and it was like a fitness center. And when I looked up their website, it was pretty cool. And when I saw that they're hiring, I'm like, what are they hiring for? They hired for a motioneer, what it was called, a motioneer. Now, what that meant was I would lead people either in martial art classes, but I've never done martial arts, Ninja Warrior classes, never trained for Ninja Warrior, but the warped wall thing is really cool. But they also had a high ropes course. They had a giant play structure for kids. And on weekends, they threw birthday parties where I got, the person got to dress up like Spider-Man and belay from the high ropes course down, upside down, to give a kid a high five. Sounded great for a college student. So I put in my wonderful resume to get the job, and I got an immediate response. So I'm like, awesome, resume worked. Got an immediate response, and I got the date that I was gonna interview. So I show up, and they wanted to do it at 7 p.m. because they wanted it like after hours of the business. So I went to H&M, found my, because again, college student, need to find this on a dime, found myself a nice button-up shirt, some really nice slacks. I was gonna look good for this interview. So I show up. When I walk in, I see it. I see the high ropes course. I see the giant play structure. I see the Ninja Warrior course and the warped wall. It was a real place. And then I go up to the manager, and she tells me, yeah, are you here for the interview? I'm like, yeah. She goes, hey, how about you sit where everybody else is? So then I'm like, oh, it's a group interview. Hopefully I can stand out amongst the crowd. So I go sit down in the couch area. And as the time was going by, people started trickling in. And there was like 10 people at, at this point. And getting a little nervous, but I'm wearing my best outfit, so I got the confidence. And everyone, but everyone looked good. I'm not going to lie. Everyone looked good, 
except for one person. There was one person in a bright red shirt and sweatpants. And I immediately wrote him off. I'm like, there's no way this guy's getting the job. He didn't even show up to, to, to look well. So we're sitting there, and as time's going by, the guy in the sweatpants started getting incredibly restless and was, to be honest with you, being a little annoying and a little obnoxious. And he was just loud. He was talking really loud. And then he got incredibly bored that he got up and started running up the play structure. Like, again, we're here for an interview. He ran up the play structure and slid down really fast because, again, he's wearing sweatpants. So that dude flew down. And then he goes over to the Ninja Warrior course and tries to do the warped wall. Failed every time. And I'm just watching this guy, guys, and I'm getting, like, really annoyed. Like, this guy does not know how to be professional in this moment. Like, this is a per- need to be professional. And then there was, like, this projector thing for kids where it had, like, this game where you, like, pop bubbles or whatever. And he's, like, playing this game while we're all just watching him. And I'm starting to look around. And I'm looking at, like, everybody else's response. And the majority of the people seemed like they did not care. And all I wanted to do was, like, just talk about this guy. It was, like, really giving me anxiety what he was doing. The manager finally comes up, and I'm like, oh, thank goodness. She is going to excuse him because this guy is way too much. But no, she wanted to start the interview, and she had us all stand up and get in a line. And here's the first comment she said. She said, hi, guys. Thank you for coming to the interview. I want you to know that not everybody is going to get an interview. And I was like, oh, thank goodness they're excusing this guy. It's not what she said. She said, actually, only five of you are being interviewed. The rest are already employees. And she asked for the employees to come up. And what happened was they were all undercover. They were trying to see how we were. Were we going to insult anything? Were we going to insult anybody? But luckily, sweatpant guy was not one of the employees. (laughs) He was not. Instead, he said, hello, my name is Duncan. I'm the owner. (laughs) He was the owner of this company. And I was like, kind of freaking out. I'm like, did I say anything? Did I ruin ruin this? But no. But I'm telling you guys, I I judged him. I judged him hardcore. But then here's what happened. We ended up doing the group interview. And we ended up going up the play structure. We ended up going on the Ninja Warrior course, trying to do the warped wall. They even put us on the high ropes course to go through. And as I'm up there with my nice button-up shirt and my slacks, all I can see is the sweatpants guy, a.k.a. the owner, and his sweatpants saying, I really wish I had those right now. This is exhausting. But as we were doing the interview, a guy I once judged was kind of now the measurement for me of who I needed to be like. So it ended up being somebody to judge, I end up trying to imitate, which is not great. And I'll be honest with you guys, if they knew what was in my heart during that interview, I would not have gotten that job. Not at all. And to be honest with you guys, and what we're going to read today is I sinned when I did that. How judgmental I was, I was sinned. I did get the job and I ended up being (laughs) Spider-Man. And I hope there's no no pictures and I wouldn't show that picture. (laughs) Little hefty Spider Man's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when we're we're gonna jump into James chapter two, and we're gonna talk about being judgmental. And we're gonna talk about how what I did was in fact a sin. So let's read it. 
If you, got, you guys should have it opened up, um, but it'll be on the screen for you. Here's what James says. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, it's guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, I mean, thank you for your word even though it can be so challenging for us. But Lord, I pray that this word, this message, just sharpens us to be more like you, better followers of you, so that everyone who enters this room or just in our lives can experience your love. Praising in your name. Amen. So in this moment, James presents a problem that's happening in the church. James tells us that as believers of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should not show favoritism. In your Bibles might say partiality or even prejudice. But what partiality means, what this word means in the original Greek is to, it literally means receiving the face. And to receive the face is to make judgments and distinctions based on external considerations such as physical appearance, social status, or race. And what it really means is taking people face value, taking people face value. And as we know and we have heard, you, should take, you shouldn't take anything face value. If you read a news article, just the headline, you should not accept it as truth unless you do the research and figure out what the article is actually saying. Don't take it face value. If you're looking up or trying to buy a used car, don't just take the dealer's word for it. Don't take that price tag's word for it. Do your research. Look into it. Don't take anything face value. And this is contrary to Jesus because our scripture tells us that man looks at people with outer appearance, judges people in outer appearance, but our Lord looks at the heart, looks at the heart of people. So we know we should not take things face value, and we especially shouldn't be doing that to people. And then James gives us a clear example of what it looks like. And I don't know if this was a real moment in history for James. I don't know if he's making like a hypothetical. But here's his story. Here's his example for us. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, 
But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thought? So here's the situation. A rich man comes in. But here's the cool part about this. James never says a rich man. You just make that assumption. He says a man with a gold ring and fine clothing, which brings the assumption that he's rich. But when this person comes in, you're showing special treatment. You're giving them the good seat, giving them the the red carpet, the whole tour, doing whatever you want to do to make this person feel special. But at the same time, and James does clearly say this, a poor man comes in with the filthy clothes, the rag of clothes, and you just ignore him. Or, as the verse says, you tell that person, hey, you stand there, which means standing room only. But if you need to sit, sit where you're at. Just don't be a bother, please. We're showing this other person special treatment. James is saying that this is happening. And these judgments are made just based on the outer appearance. Show special treatment for the rich. Push away or mistreat the one that comes across as poor or comes across as strange. Which sounds very familiar to my job interview, doesn't it? See, I did a form of this. I saw a man in sweatpants. And in my heart, I completely mistreated him. In my heart, I was insulting this man. And I honestly was looking around to see who else wanted to join in on poking fun at this guy. All I did was judge him based upon his appearance. I took him face value and signed him off. And what James is saying is, this is happening in the church. This is happening in the assembly. And this might be happening in our lives. When we take people face value. And when we are singling people out, making one feel less, what we're doing is making people feel isolated, unsupported, or they just don't belong. In their book, Compassion, A Reflection on Christian Life, Nowen McNeil and Morrison tells us exactly how this treatment makes other people feel. Here's what they say. Many very generous Christians find themselves increasingly tired and dispirited Not so much because of the work is hard or the success slight, but because they feel isolated, unsupported, and left alone. Then they say, we are able to do many things, tolerate many conflicts, overcome many obstacles, and persevere under many pressures. But when we no longer experience ourselves as part of a caring, supporting, praying community, we quickly lose faith. And then the crisis in the lives of many caring Christians today are closely associated with deep feelings of not belonging. Without a sense of being sent by a caring community, a compassionate life cannot last long and quickly degenerates into a life marked by numbness and anger. See, according to them, if we show favoritism and we're making people feel singled out, we can be the reason that they feel tired, dispirited, isolated, unsupported, left alone, faithless, lack of belonging, numbness, and anger. And James says that when we treat others this way, in part we have become judges. And not just any judge. We become a judge with evil thoughts or evil motives. And we can sum this up that we become judges with an evil mindset. So I ask, Why do we do this? And what is it? What are these evil mindsets? And why do we show favoritism to some? Why do we show partiality? Why do we show prejudice? Is it because we think we're better than others? And in my situation, I would say yes. 
what I was doing, for some reason I did. We might think they're below us. We might think people are below us. We might think people are not worth our time. Or when it comes to showing favoritism, we want to be associated with a certain group. We want them to accept us. They want, we want the prestige. We want the clout. Or maybe we're just telling a person or a group that we just, we just don't want to be associated with you. We don't want that. Whatever it is, James says that this is evil motives, evil thoughts, evil mindset. And I want to say this, whatever it is, if we are treating others with partiality or favoritism, this goes against who Jesus is, his whole being. James says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Or is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of, to, of him to whom you belong? As we can tell, this treatment is at complete odds with who Jesus is. A favoritism based on external considerations is cons- inconsistent with faith in Jesus. The one who came down to break the barriers, break the barriers of, of race, of class, of gender, of the ones we think are strange. And what I love about this is, you know, this isn't just something written or preached. If we examine the life of Jesus, we can actually see this happen to him time and time again. It's pretty much his whole ministry. But there's one moment where we can completely see that Jesus was treated to be less. And when it happened, he actually called it out. It is in the home of a Pharisee, Simon. You might have known this story. This Pharisee, Simon, invited Jesus into the home. And at this time, there were formalities that you would do. You would present water for someone to be able to wash their feet so they would be clean for the meal. You would greet them with holy kisses. And then you would even give them oil to anoint them. Simon didn't do a single one of those when Jesus entered his home made Jesus feel less. But then a woman, a sinful woman, who finds out that Jesus is in the home, decides to enter, and she gives Jesus the royal treatment that he deserves. And Simon was actually disgusted by this. Even even himself calls it out and tells Jesus that if you knew who this woman was, you would not let her touch you. You would not let her go near you. And this is what Jesus said. He said, he turned toward the woman, And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus was made to be less by Simon. And it wasn't only Jesus, it was also this woman being completely judged by this host. Simon did not do the formalities like he should, but this woman came and fulfilled all of them. 
And in this moment, Simon did not receive prestige. He didn't receive clout. I don't think he received anything that he was attempting to do. But the two people who were made to be judged, made to be felt less, connected. And the woman, especially the woman, received the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, and the salvation. All in the moment that Jesus called out when he was made to feel less. And this is what James means in verse 5 when he says, has, God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Now, I do have to give the, say this. This is not to say that the, only the poor will receive the inheritance. I'm not, you know, if you have wealth, I'm not asking you to give it to me. I'll accept it, but I'm not asking for it. But this is not what's happening. We even see in Jesus' words, he doesn't say that a rich man will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He just says it's going to be more difficult, not impossible. So I do want you to hear that that is not what James is saying in this. But the heart of this text, the heart of this text is not whether you are poor or you're rich, but whether or not you're showing favoritism, partiality, or prejudice towards others and making them feel like they are less. So here's the thing. Here's a question. What do we do? What do we do with this? James presented the problem. James definitely called me out in this. In the church, in our lives, how do we fix this problem of mistreating others, making other people feel less, making other people feel judged? What is the solution? There's a problem, and now James presents a solution of how we can change or be aware of our treatment of others. And it says, follow the royal law. Follow the royal law. What James says is, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. Or your translation says, you are doing well. Love your neighbor as yourself. This seems pretty simple, right? So let me ask you this. Have you ever been made to feel less than? Can you think of a moment in your life where you were made to feel like you weren't cared for or you were overlooked. Maybe at work, maybe you felt like you didn't matter. Maybe you felt like how you felt didn't matter. Have you ever been walked over? Have you ever been mistreated or underappreciated? Raise your hand if you've ever felt any of these. I feel like everybody in the room should raise their hands. I think we all have. I think we can all relate. Here's the truth. We all know how we want to be treated. Because we all know when we feel like we're not being treated the way we want to be treated. We know what it feels like to to feel hatred. We know what it feels like to feel judged. We know what it feels like to be overlooked. We know what it feels like to have just a group not want to accept us. So why do we keep doing it to other people is the question. If we know, if we know how it feels, why do we keep doing it to others? Here's the reality. We know we, we should never say if I was in their shoes because we're in our own shoes and we know how that feels. So the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. That should be so easy. But we find ourselves, we find ourselves still judging people based upon their, their appearance. If we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, if we actually do it, then there is no room for making distinctions between rich or poor or strange. 
there will be no distinctions based on external considerations, such as the physical appearance, social status, or race. But I want to go back to the royal law because this is really important. I want to show you where this is located, what James is referring to. If you wanted to underline it, uh, highlight it in your Bible, it is in Leviticus 19.18. But before we go there, I actually want to read you the context surrounding it because this actually shows what James is getting at in the heart. So the verse, the, the royal law is in Leviticus 19.18, but I want to go to 19.9-10 first. Here's what it says. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. A heart for the poor. And then we're going to skip ahead to Leviticus 19.15. It says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. We see partiality. We see favoritism to the poor, to the great. And now Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That is the heart of this passage. For those who are made to feel less, for those who have been judged, for those who have been mistreated. And Leviticus 19 is so important that even when questioned, Jesus answered what he believes are the two greatest commandments. First one, love your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. We all know how it feels. We know how it feels to be overlooked. We all know how it feels to feel less than. We all know how it feels to not matter or feel like how we feel doesn't matter. We know how it feels to be walked over, mistreated, or unappreciated. Like I said, if we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, if we are to live the royal law, then there's no room for making distinctions between rich and poor. See, this is how important this law is. It's an Old Testament law. It was quoted by James, and it was lived out and taught by Jesus. So we know it is important to love our neighbors as ourselves. is so important. But I'm, gonna, I'm going to, and James definitely double downs on this, because he now gives us a warning if we don't do this. He gave us the problem, he gave us the solution, and now he's giving us a warning. And here's the warning. Breaking the royal law is to commit sin. And this is what I was telling you guys before. What I did to the sweatpants guy, a.k.a. the owner, is I sinned against him. James says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You know, this seems extreme, but this shows you how important this is to God. This shows you how important God's people are to him. That he's saying, if you break the royal law, what should be so simple, you have committed a sin and you have broke, broken the whole law. So making distinctions, it's a really big deal. 
It is keeping up with the, with the law. Discriminating, discriminating against people, whether on the basis of their clothing, nationality, social class, or race, it is a clear violation of the unbonded love to which Jesus calls us. A love that he calls us to do for each other. So to sum it up, for us to know, if we love as we wish to be loved, we are doing well. If we show favoritism, partiality, prejudice, we sin. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear this next part and write it down because the warning goes a little bit deeper. Listen to James. Listen to Jesus. How we treat others will have salvific implications. How we treat others has salvific implications. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we judge without mercy, then we will be judged without mercy. If we show mercy, then we are given mercy. Douglas Moon, his commentary says, a person who has shown no mercy cannot expect to receive mercy at the judgment. James suggests that showing mercy is one particular aspect of the law of liberty that is important for his readers to recognize. Showing mercy is, in fact, just what love commands. It requires, and what James's readers are failing to do when they dishonor the poor person. Now, if you want, those are James's words. If you want more reason to love others like yourself and not judge, I want you to hear Jesus. Because now Jesus, Jesus gave us a warning in Matthew 25 and tells us what happens if we show or don't show compassion. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. But if you keep reading, then Jesus says the opposite to those who do the opposite. Depart from me. You who are cursed, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You did not clothe me, feed me. You did not look after me when I was sick. You did not visit me when I was in prison. How we treat people is a big deal. How we treat others is important. It has salvific implications. Now, I'll be honest with you guys, James is harsh. Absolutely harsh. This letter is harsh. And this section, man, it's really hard. I feel like I'm preaching like fire and brimstone up here, which is not usually what I like to do. But I think these verses are asking for it. And asking for us, pretty much demanding us, to change how we treat others, especially in this church. 
especially in our churches and especially in our lives. But what I love about all this section, all this section, is it shows us God's love for his people, his children, which is great, but also, you know, I kind of wish I didn't need like real life experience in this. This week, I got like the, the, the life experience of the father. A couple days ago, Audrey was telling me that uh, our son was at our friend's house, and there's a lot of kids there, and witnessed my son being bullied. Now, and as a like almost four-year-old, and maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe you've had your children come into your house and tell you how bad their day was, how they were picked on, how they were bullied, how they were treated. And I'll be honest with you guys, when my wife told me this, I was angry. I wasn't there. Pretty, probably good I wasn't there. But I was so angry that somebody would want to mistreat my son. Like, why my son? This is a great kid. This is a nice kid. This is a loving kid. Why is he made to be the butt of every joke, being picked on? Why is my son looked at as the weakest link? And I, that is the heart of God for his people. That when we are mistreating people, when we are making them feel less than, God is looking at us saying, why are you treating? Why are you treating my son like that? Why are you treating my daughter like that? Show them mercy, if you want mercy. Or accept what you're going to get. So church, let's love. Amen. Let's love our neighbors as ourselves. We know how it feels. This should be so easy for us. So let's love so that nobody in this assembly, nobody in this church ever needs to feel isolated again, never needs to feel dispirited, never needs to feel numbness, never needs to feel anger. That when they walk through our doors or when they walk through your life, they are feeling that love of Christ. The same love that you feel every day. Give it to someone else. Will you pray with me?